Hello, and welcome to On Walking the Way. Today we're going to continue our series on the return of the king and a parable about using our time wisely while we wait. This week we're going to look at a parable that is often used, and often somewhat out of context, to teach about money. That is not to say that this story cannot be used to teach on other subjects. It's just that taking a parable out of its original context will not give you the meaning that was intended when Jesus told the story. This parable is included with the other parables we've been looking at because it shows us something about how we are to live in this time between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I scatter no seed? Hmm. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So, take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's look at the initial setup of this story. It begins with, For it will be light. This phrase is the clue that this story is describing the same time of waiting that he has been referring to previously. Once again, we see a master leaving on a journey and leaving his servants behind. This is now the second story that is built on this basic framework. The first time Jesus used this setup was to explain the difference between two servants. One who remained faithful to the end and the other that gave up on the master returning and became selfish and wicked. This story is an expansion on that idea. 
Now there are three servants, and they were not all given the same gifts and responsibilities. The lesson here, then, is in the comparison between these three servants, all of which were given gifts and responsibilities. The three servants that Jesus describes were given different amounts of resources, each according to his ability. So although the gifts were not distributed evenly, they were distributed justly. None of these servants were asked to do more than they were able. I think this is an important side note in the story, given our current culture's confusion regarding equality, equity, and justice. The first two servants performed as expected, and each of them managed their gifts well. They each were profitable to their master. If this sounds too mercenary for your taste, consider some of the other metaphors that Jesus uses, like seeds bearing crops in the parable of the sower, or trees bearing good or bad fruit. Jesus does have an expectation of return on the gifts that he has given us. It is difficult to read this story and not come away with that conclusion. In this story, the reward for the faithful servants was the pleasure of the master and an increase in their responsibility and authority. The only thing I would point out here is that they did not get the same amount to start, nor did they produce the same amount in the end, but both got the same reward and praise from their master. Jealousy over gifts and position are unnecessary something I think Jesus repeatedly tried to teach his disciples. Now the last servant, however, this is an entirely different story. Judging from the amount of detail given by Jesus about this guy, I think it is safe to say that this servant represents the main point of this story. I see this as a cautionary tale at its heart. The first words out of his mouth say a lot about who he is and the condition of his heart. Compare his attitude with the simple obedience of the two previous servants. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. It seems that he took the servant-master relationship as one that is only for the benefit of the master. In this servant's mind, his relationship with the master was something more like oppression than service, and his misunderstanding of the character and love of the master defined all his decisions. This victim mentality, if you'll excuse the phrase, caused him to relate to his master through paralyzing fear rather than love, gratitude, respect, or even a sense of responsibility. So he did nothing with the gift that he was given to him and intended to just give it back. Assuming the master ever returned, he quiet quit, to use another recent cultural trope. He thought he could just opt out of his calling and responsibility, disregard his gifts, and live for himself. The master did not take this man's assessment of the situation very well, though, and responded to the servant in a way that may have surprised him, and us. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. If this response surprises you, Think about this passage from the Sermon on the Mount. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, 
and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This servant has wrongfully judged the master to be grasping, self-serving, and unjust, so that is exactly the way he treated him. He was judged in the same way he himself judged others. But more than that, the master explained to him that he was not even living consistently with his own warped and twisted understanding of his character. Because if he really believed what he was saying, he would have given that money to the banker so that he would have something to show for the gifts he was given when the master returned. I think the last servant's response shows a poorly disguised contempt for both the gifts that he was given and his master that entrusted him with them. He seemed to be projecting his lack of character onto the master. Maybe he was offended to be given less resources than the others, or maybe he didn't think the master was really coming back, who knows. But for whatever reason, he had no interest in serving the master or putting those gifts to their intended use, and in the end, his explanation was nothing more than an insulting and worthless excuse. So what about us? It has been said by many that the most important thing in our head is our concept of God. I think this story illustrates that axiom very clearly. So given our constant exposure to a godless and often God-hating world, we need to regularly evaluate our own view of God's character. Do we see Him as loving and generous? Or has the world twisted our thinking to see Him as stingy and cruel? Do we hold back when we should be giving? As difficult as it can be to ask these questions of ourselves, I think it's important that we do. I think this question is the question Jesus is asking his disciples as he told them this story. He wanted them to examine themselves and ask, which of these servants am I? So what were we given by the Master? Well, life, energy, material resources, education, encouragement, skills, friends, family. For most people, the list goes on and on. And for Christians who've experienced and known the grace of God, His mercy, forgiveness, and the promise of eternal life gives us an absolute embarrassment of riches. We have all of this and more in Christ, and it should absolutely compel us to respond in kind to others. But does it? The most important question before us today is once again, what am I going to use my gifts for today? For some, there's a fixation on the future. For others, there is perhaps more of a fixation on the past. But the past cannot be changed and the future is unknown. Today is the day of salvation. Today we will either use our gifts in service of the Master or we won't. For he says... In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. None of us will wake up tomorrow. Every time we wake up, it is today. If we do not use the gifts we've been given today, as the five foolish virgins learned only too late, then we do not use our gifts at all. At the Master's return, we cannot go back in time to make corrections, nor can we make excuses like the wicked servant in the story today. We invest in the Master's kingdom whenever we use the gifts he has given us to bless others. Will we see the benefit of this investment? Well, to be honest, 
probably not directly or immediately, but when the master returns, he will not forget what was done, and we will be rewarded with entrance into his joy forever. So this week, let's remember the price Jesus paid in his service to us and not focus on the cost of our service. Whatever price we pay will be nothing compared to what God paid to redeem and restore our rebellious and wicked souls. The joy of the Lord is found by those that serve him, not by those who serve themselves. So let's take inventory of what resources God has given us in Christ and look for places to invest those gifts. Have a great week.